Hi everyone, thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of the Dear Mark Project podcast. We're so excited to have you here today for another episode. With New Year's right around the corner, we wanted to pull some highlights together from a few of our episodes. To our guests, listeners, followers, and supporters, thank you so much for an amazing year. We are so excited to see the positive progress and impact that Dear Mark is making. With each follow, like, and listen, we are one step closer to making the goal of an automatic filtered image tag a reality. So thank you again. Enjoy the episode and have an amazing new year. How does imposter syndrome tie into mental health? So imposter syndrome can be a way that we cope with certain insecurities. So how does it tie into mental health, I think, is, um, you know, when we uh, use filters or Facetune or we curate our feed in this perfect way, I think a lot of times what we're doing is we're attempting to hide away some of those insecurities. And so it starts this really weird vicious cycle where people are making this perfect curation online and it creates new um, mental health challenges or insecurities in other people who are consuming that content. So I think in that way it ties into mental health and social media. Setting boundaries is incredibly important for social media. So can you go over how we can set healthy boundaries, especially on social media? Definitely. That's something that has made all the difference for me because I really do believe that what we consume, especially on social media, it, it, it truly creates our reality. And when there was COVID and we were at home, that was like the only way we were really connecting. One of the only ways we were really connecting with people. And so number one, I'm sure a lot of people say this, but who you follow is just so important. If you're following like people who I remember at one point I was like super into fitness and I was following a certain demographic and it was so unhealthy for me. And, you know, there's different demographics and accounts that people can follow. I'm no judgment to any of them, but I realized that it was just really putting an unhealthy message for myself and it was making me feel really bad about myself and it it didn't align with my values. And so even just unfollowing and figuring out who I want to follow, what messages do I want to see and also expanding who I follow. I want to be aware of what's going on in the world. And at the same time, it's so easy to get caught up in like the news and reading everything. And I think it's so important to find, I I don't like the word balance sometimes because it's hard to find a balance, but really finding, I would say balance between being informed and also acknowledging that it's okay to put the phone down. You don't have to see all these videos. You don't have to see all these harmful things happening. It's really important to set those boundaries. And so I think who you follow, how long you're on it too, because if you don't set boundaries with yourself, you can be on, so I can be on social media at least till like 2 a.m. watching TikToks. And so I think it's really, really important to set social media boundaries because that really does affect our mental health and create our reality in ways that we may not realize. How do you determine what self-care looks like for you on an individual basis? Yes. So there's an exercise I do with many of my clients and I get out a piece of paper and I write on one column, I say, list everything that you do throughout your day or week that feels good, that helps you cope. Right. 
And right on the other side, the same things, but they're kind of unhealthy, right? So we start to identify what are healthy ways of coping and what are unhealthy ways of coping. We all do both, right? The healthy ways of coping usually take more effort, they take more commitment, and aren't as easily done. The unhealthy ways of coping feel really easy and instinctual, but they hurt us in the long run. So for example, someone with social anxiety, they might cope by avoiding social interaction, right? So they isolate all weekend, they stay in by themselves, you know, long term, though, that's not helping. So we first want to identify what are your healthy and unhealthy ways of coping with your mental health from the get go. Then we want to start to look at the healthy list and plant them slowly into your life right? So we kind of take a look. What are all these healthy things you enjoy doing? It sounds like you enjoy socializing once a week with friends. You like to get some exercise or movement in. It's really important for you to have an hour of alone time before bed, right? Maybe for someone, it's just waking up 10 minutes earlier. They have an extra 10 minutes to have peace and quiet in the house before everyone wakes up. So we, everyone has the ability to personalize this. So you really look at your healthy ways of coping. And then we start to determine how frequently do you need these things? And we put them into categories, right? Do you need to exercise or move every single day? How can we make that work for you? Maybe for you, it's once a week. You just want to take a long walk or run. That's all you might need. So how can we make that happen once a week? Maybe it's once a month. This person likes to move by joining a workout class or they go and run a race that they normally wouldn't do. They don't have the time to do it. So it's really unique. We look at what the person needs, and we try and prioritize it into their schedule every day, every week, and every month, because we don't have time to do all our coping skills all of the time. It's impossible. We have other things to commit to. We don't want to overcomplicate it. So if I'm helping someone learn how to create a self-care routine, we do one at a time. So pick one thing from the healthy coping skills list. Do you need to do it every day, week, or month? And then let's start to habituate that. And once you feel like that's part of your routine, then we go to the next coping skill. Before you know it, a year later, you have a list of tools that you're prioritizing that make you feel really good. What are some different ways that you can cope with perfectionism? Ooh. So as a recovering perfectionist myself, um, the things that myself and then other people I've worked with in the past have done in terms of perfectionism is trying to get off of social media to stop comparing ourselves, trying to find ways to uh, change our thinking, be, be aware of, of what's going on in our lives, of where we're comparing, where it may have come from, like the origin of where it came from. Some people enjoy digging into that, some people don't, but it at least helps to know where it started. So like maybe it started in school, maybe it started with the way that your parents raised you, maybe it started with a certain coach having really high standards and like yelling at you at a game that it can come from anywhere and then being able to be like, okay, let's say that you were six years old at a soccer game, that if that's where it started, okay, let's break it down though and know how it like followed you into your future and to where you are now. Like, okay, well I started with soccer, but then it turned into, I don't know, AP classes that got really hard and really challenging because you found a peer group that was really challenging you to keep up. And then it just kind of snowballed from there. Noticing the origins, knowing where that came from is important first, is identifying that piece. But then from there, making sure you can pick that apart and know like, okay, I know I can't go back and change my my six-year-old soccer game, but I do know that I can try and find people in my life that are supportive. I do know that I can work on my way of thinking. I know that I can 
journal. I can be gentle of my, with myself. A lot of my clients have really enjoyed like writing letters to their younger selves. And that's been really, usually really powerful to be like, hey, six-year-old you, it's okay. You don't have to be um, doing it all and being being the best you can and constantly raising the bar and keeping your emotions inside and all these things. Because a lot of perfectionists wear a lot of masks in public, but in, the, in their private world, they're just completely exhausted and overwhelmed with trying to keep up with everybody. So those letters are powerful. I mean, I'm always a big fan of therapy to have someone to process this with that's not biased, that's not a parent, that's not a coach, uh, that's not a peer that has their own stuff going on, that a therapist that's just there to listen and make sure you feel heard and understood. Pretty, pretty important stuff. You have expertise in attention training. So what exactly is attention training? So simply it's training your attention um but basically it's being about to learn the skills and techniques to be able to manage where your attention is going or what it is focused on but it's um a specific set of skills that allows you to be able to do that okay yeah and so how is that you know beneficial for having a healthy relationship especially with social media I think because a lot of the time we do things quite mindlessly so we don't really we're not really aware of where our attention is focused so we could often spend hours sometimes scrolling social media and not really realizing I suppose how long we're on there for so how you could really link that in with attention training is obviously if you if you do the attention training you're going to be more mindful more aware of what you're actually doing and how potentially how long you're spending on there um and what you're I suppose what you're focusing on because as I said when sometimes on social media it can be helpful and you can learn a lot and it can be really quite enjoyable but then you you've got that that edge I suppose where you tip over and you spend a lot more time on there than probably what you intended to do or what you really want to do so by having the power of attention training you're more able to know when it's kind of tipping over into that that ground where you don't really want to be in terms of spending a a more amount of time on it than what you'd want to that makes sense yeah and it sounds like a critical part of beginning attention training is firstly paying attention to your habits so you know how can we kind of start with this I think a great way it can and I think the beauty of attention training is that originally it was developed really for anxiety however there's such a a massive crossover so I think one of the best ways to I suppose realize what we're doing is almost keeping a diary so thinking about what we do on a daily basis you may want to do it more like have a, a title and then like a tally chart or you may want to do it but then maybe add how much time you're spending on it um and and in addition to that if you wanted to go a little bit deeper you so you do the diary you'd look at how long you're spending on doing certain things and being honest with yourself because I think sometimes we may yeah shave off the truth a little bit um but to, to go a little bit deeper it would be looking at how much that activity is important and how much it's enjoyable for you. So for example, maybe doing chores, doing the dishes, it's kind of important, but not that enjoyable. Um, Whereas maybe like scrolling on social media, then that's kind of what I mentioned with that tipping, that sometimes it could be enjoyable, but then it turns into something that's not enjoyable. So it's about 
having that awareness of what you're doing then kind of looking at the time that you're spending on it and if you want to go deeper in looking at how important is it to you and how much you're enjoying it. To close us out, what is your um, top tip around a healthy social media use? I think um, healthy social media use will probably be a little bit different for everyone but there are definitely some similarities that I see in people who have a healthy relationship with it. That being using social media to connect rather than to disconnect. Following people who help build you up rather than bring you down. But also having limits on it. Not spending all of your waking time on it. Um, For example, churning social media sites off at a certain time every evening. Having a day or several days every week where you don't check your social media whilst you're waiting for the toaster or the kettle, not automatically reverting to checking your social media, but actually being mindful. Just little changes such as that can make a massive difference. Thanks for listening. To learn more about how to make social media a more honest and empowering place to be, follow us on Instagram at the Dear Mark Project and visit our website, dearmark.co. Stay tuned every week for a new episode. Thanks again for tuning in.